0: morning. need you to open up your Bibles, if you could, to 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 13. One of the things that I've always really appreciated about Mark's preaching is his, um, his desire, his intention just to jump right into the biblical text. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're in this series on where um, we're working our way through 1 Peter. And today we're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. And uh, I'm going to read the first several verses here. Therefore, with minds that are fully alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, if I'm going to unpack this, uh, this text for you this morning, which, by the way, I think might be one of the most important passages in the entire book of 1 Peter. If I'm going to faithfully explain this and unpack this text for you this morning, I really need uh, to make two very important grammatical observations. Okay, you with me? we do some grammar here this morning? Um, two very important grammatical observations. Observation number one. Peter gives these Christians three important imperatives, command statements. These are bossy words, okay? He gives them three very important imperatives or commands here in this passage that I just read for you. Now, remember, Peter is writing to a group of Christians, Okay. A group of Christians who are living in a culture that is not particularly friendly to the gospel message. He's writing to a community of Christians who are living in a culture that is oftentimes very hostile or indifferent to the truth of Jesus Christ. And he writes them this letter where he gives them these instructions about here's how you live, here's how you conduct yourselves as you're living in this type of culture. And he gives them these three commands, commands which they needed to hear and commands which I think you and I need to hear this morning as well. The first command, the first uh, bossy word that he gives here in this passage is the word hope. Hope is a verb in this passage. And we Hope by being prepared and being self-controlled or sober-minded. We place our hope, we hope, firmly in the grace to be revealed in Jesus Christ. We place our hope firmly in him. And listen, there's plenty of things in this world, there's plenty of things in our lives that instruct us to panic. There's plenty of things in our world, there's plenty of things in our lives that tell us, you need to freak out about this. You need to worry about this. You need to be full of all sorts of anxiety about this. And in our panic, we have the temptation to place our hope in all sorts of temporary things in this world. And Peter says, no, 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 no. As a follower of Jesus Christ in this world, as a follower of Jesus Christ in this culture, you need to know that you... You need to anchor your hope firmly in nothing else other than the grace of Jesus Christ. In that alone will you find hope. That's his first command. Hope. Where is your hope? I want to skip the second command for now. I'll return to it in a second. But I want to skip ahead to the third bossy word that he gives. Which is the word fear. He says in verse 17... Since you all call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And the word there is actually a command. Live your life in reverent fear. And the best understand, this is a word that's really easy to misunderstand. The best way to understand this word fear is, um, is not terror. Maybe the best way for me to understand this word is the type of fear that I had for my parents growing up. And uh, it is Father's Day, and I, I wish all the fathers in this room the best Father's Day. You have one of the most important jobs in the entire kingdom, you realize, being a father. And I, I grew up as a kid living my life in a healthy sort of fear of my parents. Now, not so much my dad as much as my mom. Um, my, my mom has kind of three stages of disappointment, okay? Okay. The first stage of disappointment is what we call the tongue click. I'd be sitting in the room watching TV, my mom would overhear something that was on TV, and I would just hear this from the other room. And I knew at that point, "Uh, it's time to change the channel. The second stage of uh, Betsy Ragsdale disappointment is the pointy finger, the index finger. And my friends and I both, we grew up accustomed to this right in our chest, the pointy finger right in our chest, right here. And the the fear of this pointy finger kept me from making a lot of silly mistakes growing up. But the third level of disappointment is the, the level that we all feared. It was the level of silent disappointment. You know you have really disappointed when she doesn't say anything. And that was what terrified me the most. And listen, when I was at my best growing up, when I was at my very best growing up, I conducted myself with the knowledge, with the awareness that I live my life under the authority of Lynn and Betsy Ragsdale. I've been so blessed and fortunate to have parents that I never had any concern or question whether or not they loved me. I knew that they loved me, no matter what. But I also knew that if I screwed up, that love would be experienced through discipline. Okay? Okay? And so I lived my life consciously aware of the authority that they had over me. And I think that that's a a part of what it means to live your life in reverent fear of God. What it means is you don't live your life with God as an afterthought. You don't live your life as if God is just sort of like this casual or passive observer of your life. You live your life recognizing the authority that he has over you. And recognizing the truth that he does love us no matter what. But that love may be experienced at times through discipline. And so Peter says, live your life in hope, place your hope in in the grace of Jesus Christ, but also live your life in fear, a reverent type of fear, acknowledging that God is there and that that God loves us and that God cares for us. The second command, though, I want to go back to the second command. This is really the most important command for the entire book of 1 Peter. That's why I saved it for last. The rest, of the, first, or the rest of the book of 1 Peter is an explanation, I think, of the second command, where he says simply, be holy. Be holy. It's a general truth of scripture, listen, it's a general truth of scripture, that you become like that which you worship. You start to look like that which you worship. Um, Isaiah chapter 44 in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah is mocking, he's ridiculing the nation of Israel. Because some of them have started to worship false gods. And what they've done is, they go out and they chop down a tree. And out of part of the tree, they fashion for themselves an idol to worship. And then Isaiah points out, out of the, the rest of the tree, the part that you don't use for an idol, you use that for kindling in your fire. He's making fun of them for this, and he says in Isaiah 44, "...all who make idols are worthless." Because the things that they treasure are worthless. Whatever you treasure, whatever you give worth to over time will serve to reshape your identity. So if that's true, which I think it is, if that's true, if we are striving in our lives to faithfully worship God, what should we expect to look like over time? What effect should that start to have in our lives? Well, we just finished a series... Um, a great series on God is. Where we talked about numerous different descriptions of, of the character and the work of God. And all the libraries in all the world couldn't hold the number of, uh, of words necessary to describe fully and completely who God is and what he has done. But I do find it interesting that when the prophet Isaiah is caught up to the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6... He hears the angels in heaven singing a song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, John, again, is caught up into the throne room of God. And this just shows you how some songs always remain contemporary. He hears the angels singing again, holy, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I suppose the angels could have chosen to sing any number of things about God. They could have sang songs about his righteousness, about his justice, about his beauty, about his power, about his sovereignty, about his love, but the word that they chose to describe the God of the universe is the word holy. All of those other things are just a description of his holiness. His love is a holy love. His justice is a holy justice. His righteousness is a holy type of righteousness. And this holiness is what followers of God have always been called to imitate. This holiness. In the book of Leviticus, again, back in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. Here's the instructions given to the people of God. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. And in this letter in 1 Peter, Peter is echoing back to us the very same idea. To pursue God is to pursue holiness. But what does that mean? There's a lot of different opinions and a lot of different descriptions and definitions of what exactly it means to be holy, right? Let me just offer to you what I think is, for me, the most simple basic understanding of holiness. Holiness is to be pure and set apart from evil for God. To be pure and set apart from evil for God. To grow in holiness is to grow in purity. To grow in holiness means that eventually the gospel starts to affect real world issues in my life. To grow in holiness means that eventually the gospel starts to have real consequences in my life. In the things that I say. In the clothes that I wear. In the values and priorities that I keep. In the stuff that I watch. To, be, to grow in holiness means that the gospel of Jesus Christ starts to break through in my behavior. In the choices that I make. In the things that I say yes to. In the things that I say no to. We see this idea reflected in uh, in First Peter again in chapter two, um, verses one through three. I want to read it. Peter says, "Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. And like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy." Envy and slander. Rid yourselves. The word that's used there for "rid yourselves," it actually is a word that that has the meaning of disrobing, taking off, shedding clothes. Uh, The way this is this word was used in one place in in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter seven, a man named Stephen was stoned because of his belief in Jesus. He was killed, and the people who were stoning him, one of the things they did in preparation for this is they took off their outer cloaks. They took them off and they set them at the feet of a man named Saul. They set those clothes aside. And that's what this word means in other passages in the New Testament. It means that you're shedding the old and you're taking on the new. To follow Christ means that I'm being changed. And those changes are starting to show up in the way that I live my life. We take off the old, we put on the new. But if we stop there, if we stop at that point, I'm afraid that we've missed the larger point. Because holiness, listen, holiness is not just about morality. It is about that. But it's not just about that. Holiness is also about mission. It's about mission. To be holy is to be distinct, but not to be isolated, God didn't isolate himself from the world in his holiness, and neither do we. To be holy doesn't mean that somehow we we go into the bunker, we put up the walls high, and we run away from the world. That's not what holiness ever has meant. Holiness means that we run to the world. Later on in the book of 1 Peter, a text we'll talk about next week, he actually calls us a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Now, you can't be a royal priesthood. You can't be a holy nation if you've isolated yourself from the very people that you've been called priests too. Our holiness sends us on mission. Um, in the Old Testament, God, God had the people set aside unblemished lambs, pure unblemished lambs to be offered as sacrifices of worship to him. Only unblemished, which explains why come Passover time all the lambs in Israel developed a limp. I'm sorry, not today. Um, In Romans chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says says to us that we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And this is holy and pleasing to the Lord. It's a spiritual act of worship. It's holy. Holiness, holiness, is an invitation to die. Holiness is an invitation to die to myself, And to live instead for the mission of God in this world. So how are you doing with that? Talking about holiness is always kind of an uncomfortable thing, right? I mean, I'm never more aware of how dirty my house is than when I spend all day trying to clean it up for guests that are coming that night. And so to talk about holiness is to become painfully aware of all those times and all those moments where I'm not holy. And Talking about holiness on a Sunday morning after you've drugged the kids out of the house and tried to get on church. on I mean, holiness is an awkward thing to talk about, right? Because we're painfully aware of just how unholy we are. But I think as I reflect on my own life, I think that there are at least three things that keep me, consistently keep me from pursuing holiness. And these are three things that are kind of surprising. But these are three things that keep me from pursuing holiness. The first thing is this, happiness. Happiness. Oswald Chambers, a um, uh, Christian author, says this that holiness and not happiness is the chief end of man. If you ask the average person on the street, what is our purpose? What, is our, what, what, what are we here for? What are we here to pursue? Most people would say the primary purpose of life is that I'm satisfied, that I'm happy, that I'm getting mine, okay? And that creeps into our thought process, too, where we think God designed us, God put us on this world with the primary purpose of being happy. But it's not true. The primary purpose of our life is that we are holy to the Lord, that we are set apart for the Lord. But happiness is so much easier and so much more fun because holiness sometimes leaves us miserable because we might have to say no to things that the world says yes. And we might have to say yes to things that the world says no. But when push comes to shove on a lot of days, I'd rather be happy than holy. The second thing, the second surprising thing that keeps me from pursuing holiness is relevance. I want to be relevant. Christians are so good at turning their lack of holiness into an evangelistic strategy. We rather enjoy being able to say, you know what, I'm not like all those judgmental Christians. I'm just like you. I'm just like you. I'm racked with sin. I've got the same addictions that you do, the same hang-ups that you do. I'm just exactly like you are. And listen, maybe that's true. Maybe there's, maybe there's a part of that that's true. The gospel is the good news to those who are dirty and sinful and broken, right? But I've got to wonder, what is our motivation here? Is our motivation just to blend in and look like everybody else? Is that what the gospel has called us to? Just to be relevant to the world? Hey, we're just like you. Don't worry about it. And in the process, we miss the important point of the gospel, that the gospel calls us to be distinct. The gospel calls us to be holy. Another thing that I think causes us to get distracted on the way to holiness is sincerity. Sincerity. We've been trained, and we've been trained very well, to avoid hypocrisy at all costs. It ranks just behind judgmentalism and as far as the worst of all possible sins. And we are so determined to defeat hypocrisy that we've turned the word holy into a cutdown. Think about it. It's very difficult for us to use the, whole, the word holy sometimes without sounding a bit sarcastic. Oh, you take your Bible to work with you every day. My, how holy of you. Oh, you don't watch that television show. That is, my, you are Holy. Um, We actually have this cut down, holier than thou. When we find people that are actually holier than thou, we say, well, you're just holier than thou. Um, Jesus told this story um, of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And um, the story goes this way. They're both in the temple praying, and the Pharisee says, Oh, Lord God, thank you so much that I'm not like this guy over here. I thank you so much that I'm not like this sinner over here. The sinner, on the other hand, the tax letter, he's he's face down on the ground. And he's saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I know I'm a sinner. But we've actually kind of flipped that around. Now we would have the sinner over here saying, Lord God, thank you so much that I'm not like this hypocritical Pharisee over here. This judgmental Pharisee. Thank you for that. And the Pharisee would be over here on his face saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a hypocrite. We've actually turned sincerity into a virtue. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, he says that there are actually two different kinds of hypocrisy. There's one kind that we should pursue and another kind that we should avoid. The kind of hypocrisy that we should avoid is the type of hypocrisy of pride, of self-righteousness, the type of hypocrisy that claims I'm someone that I'm clearly not. Self-righteousness. But there's another kind of hypocrisy which we should learn to embrace. The world tells us, listen, the world tells us that the most important thing is that we're authentic. We must always be authentic, true to ourselves, right? We must avoid pursuing those things that don't make us happy. We must avoid pursuing those things that we're not particularly passionate about. If we're not passionate about it, oh, i got to be true to myself. I can't be fake. I can't be inauthentic. We've got to be sincere to ourselves, And so we've made sincerity a more important virtue than holiness. But Paul tells us, and so does Peter, tells us to put on Christ, to clothe ourselves with Christ, to be crucified with Christ. And I suppose that what he meant by that is that we do that even during those moments where we don't particularly feel like it. But I so often want to guard my sincerity at the cost of my holiness. To pursue God means that we pursue holiness, but I'm not done. I've saved the best for last. I told you at the beginning of the sermon that there were two grammatical observations I needed to make today. The first one was these three bossy words, these three imperatives, hope, fear, holy. But the second observation I really need to make is the word, therefore, at the beginning of verse 13. What that, what that word does, that little word, what that word does is it links this passage to the verses that came before it. it. What that word says is, you can't really understand anything that I've just said without understanding the passage that Mark preached on last week. Last week, Mark talked about a living hope, that we are, we are saved into a living hope Despite any suffering or pain or whatever we might go through, we have a living hope and inheritance saved up for us. I uh, I have three kids, and my two oldest kids um, right now are in sports. Uh, My son Logan, he's in baseball. My daughter Addie, um, she's in softball. And I've I've noted I I made an observation this year going to their games that parents have two very different kinds of applauses. Um. There is, the first kind of applause is what I call the encouragement applause. The encouragement applause. So I'll go to my daughter's softball game. She'll be coming up to bat. will be like, come on, Addie. You, you got this. You got this. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. Just keep your eye on the ball. Get in a good stance. I know you can do it. That's the first kind of applause, the encouragement applause. The second kind of applause, though, is the celebration applause. She hit it? I can't believe she hit it. Oh my goodness. Run! Go to first. Run! Run like the wind. Um, That's the second kind of applause, the celebration. So you have the encouragement and you have the celebration. Well, listen, the passage last week was a celebration text. Let me read just a part of it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is a party. That is a celebration. A celebration of what Jesus has already done. And this call that now we've received to holiness, holiness is rooted in what Jesus has already accomplished. In the Bible, and I really need you to hear this, in the Bible, celebration always goes before encouragement. The celebration applause is always before the encouragement applause. Or you could think about it a little bit more grammatically. The indicative, what Jesus has already done, always comes before the imperative, what we now do because of that. Or I like to think of it this way. Jesus has already hit the home run. And now he's left it to us to trot around the bases. One of my favorite designations, names, for a follower of Jesus in the New Testament, we're we're called a lot of different names. We're called disciples, believers, followers, Christians, a couple times. One of my favorite designations for Christians, though, is saint, holy one. The New Testament unflinchingly calls us saints. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel a little bit awkward. Because I virtually never feel like a saint. But that's what I am. And you know why? I'm a saint. I've been made holy, which is what that word literally means. I've been made holy not because Chad is so great and terrific and holy. I've been made holy because my Lord is holy. And he gave himself up for me so that despite all of my messiness, Despite all my brokenness, I can be made pure. I can be made holy. And so our pursuit of holiness is always a response to what he has already done. He has made us holy, and so now we are freed to pursue holiness. He has given us a new identity, and now we live every day according not to the old, but to the new. I think probably the key verses in this entire passage are back in chapter 2. I read them before, but I want to read them again. I think these are just critical for us to understand. Where Peter says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love my kids unreservedly, I love my kids, no matter what. And the day that they were born, all three of them, parents can identify with this. I mean, your heart is just rent in two that day that they're born. You're just wrecked. And you, don't, you, you didn't realize that you could love anything as much as you love that, that slimy, squirrely kid on that day that they're born, okay? And I remember, I remember looking at Logan our oldest. The day that he was born. And I just knew. I mean, no one had to teach me. No one had to train me. I'm like, that's my boy. That's my son. And there's nothing that'll ever change that. I'm going to love this kid no matter what. But you know what is also true? I deeply long, and I, I, I never will stop longing for my son and for my two girls to grow into mature godly men and women. That's something that motivates me every day. That's part of my job. Is how can I teach them? How can I train them? How can I how can I try to lead them by example? Because I they are my children. He's my son, they're my daughters. But I know that in that, in that identity, I want so much more for them. And that's a picture of the gospel in us. We have been saved. We have been made pure. We have been made holy. We are children. And so now what God desires deeply for each and every one of us is that we grow up into that salvation. And we pursue that which we've been saved for. He he gives this illustration here of a newborn baby. And you know, a newborn doesn't crave Cheetos. A newborn doesn't crave bacon. A newborn doesn't crave chocolate cake or coffee. A newborn craves only one thing a newborn craves her mother's milk. And by that purity, she grows. She grows. You and I, we need to know this truth. Holiness is not something that is naturally manufactured in the human heart. It doesn't. It's not, it doesn't come from me. And if you leave this morning thinking, man, I have a lot of work to do. Or man, he really kind of stepped on some toes this morning. Or if you feel like, if you leave this morning thinking, ah, oh, just I'm not quite good enough. I just, ah, oh, I have so much stuff to take care of. If you leave with that attitude this morning, you're really kind of missing the full picture. We have been called to crave the things of God above all else. We've tasted, we've had a taste, we've tasted that the Lord is good. He's changed us, he's transformed us. And now Peter says, we crave the things that are good. Seek them out. Seek out the righteousness of God, not all this other garbage. Seek out the righteousness of God. And then what you'll see happen in your life is this what you'll start to see happening is that you will be made holy. Your attitudes will change. Your behaviors will change. Your mindset will change. God will work in you through his Holy Spirit to produce this type of holiness. We worship a holy God, amen? Worship a holy God. So my prayer for you is that we would learn, we would discipline ourselves to crave the things of a holy God. Lord, we thank you so much for saving us. We thank you so much for your holiness. And I pray for each one of us here this morning that we would, that we would learn the discipline of craving the purity and the righteousness of God. Make us holy, Lord. Amen.